Matthew chapter number 21. And uh, last week we began looking at these three chapters, 21, 22, and 23. We said that Jesus is preparing for the, the fulfillment of his ultimate purpose of going to the cross. And uh, we're getting closer. Chapter 21 starts with him coming into Jerusalem on the, the donkey, the triumphal entry. Uh, and now we're, we're moving closer and closer to that. This is basically the last week or so uh, of his life before his crucifixion, uh, his burial, his resurrection. And uh, so we began looking a little bit last week. I'm not going to go and reteach last week's lesson, but I do want to just kind of review it for those of us that were here, those of you that were not here. Uh, but we said that the closer you get, that's not going to help you. The closer that you get to God's purpose for your life, the stronger the opposition becomes. And Jesus has faced opposition his entire earthly ministry. The Pharisees have questioned him. They have attacked him. Uh, and now, though, we kind of see that becoming a little more focused, a little more concentrated as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And uh, we see that that Jesus is also uh, going to become a little, that's what I love about Jesus, he's going to become a little bit more committed. It's going to seem, he's always been committed to his purpose, but it's going to seem like Jesus is now taking a little bit stronger stand against the opposition uh, that the Pharisees are bringing to him. Uh, whereas before he may have had some conversations with them, whereas before he may have answered their questions, whereas before he may have come back at them with a question in chapters 21 through 20. Jesus is going to come at them very, very hard. And I think that that shows us that Jesus was committed to the purpose uh, that God had given him. Uh, we said that uh, in times of our lives, when we're growing spiritually, when we are, uh, when we're moving forward, when we're seeing victory, again, even if it's not the big purpose, as we would say it, you know, the answering the big questions of our life, who are we going to marry? Where are we going to live? Where are we going to work? What are we going to do? Um, even if it's not answering those big questions, maybe it's moving closer to fulfilling God's purpose in small areas, being faithful to church, serving God, being bold to share our faith. Uh, as we move closer to those times in our lives, we are going to experience spiritual opposition. Uh, we said this, we said, don't be surprised that after you have a breakthrough spiritually, you have a breakdown somewhere else. Don't be surprised that when you have a breakthrough spiritually, when, when God is showing you something, when he's teaching you something, when you're starting to get something spiritually figured out, when you're getting some momentum in your spiritual life in one area, that something else starts to go wrong. Or you get tested in another area. Maybe you're getting faithful to church and then work starts to call a little bit more. Maybe you're deciding that you're going to be faithful in your finances to give the Lord and now you have an unexpected uh, test financially, an unexpected difficulty financially. So don't be surprised when you have those breakthroughs spiritually, you have a breakdown somewhere else. Why? Because God just wants to test us. God wants to make sure that our commitment is right that our decision to follow him is sure, that we see weaknesses in other areas that we can overcome and grow from, and that we're going to continue to follow him to even greater heights. And so uh, that was kind of a little bit of what we looked at last week. I want to kind of shift gears because Jesus is being opposed by the Pharisees. 
He's being questioned. Uh, he's being criticized from the moment that he enters Jerusalem and people are praising him and they're saying, Hosanna. Uh, they're criticizing that. They're uh, exchanging money in the temple. And Jesus has to go in there, and we know the story. He has to overturn the money changers, and so he has to go through that whole thing. They come at him with several other different questions, and so uh, Jesus is going to come. Jesus, I think it again. It shows us that his perspective was getting even clearer. His focus about going to the cross was even clearer, and nobody and nothing was going to stop him from doing that. And so you're in chapter number 21 as we look at these three chapters. Uh, I think as we see Jesus answer back the Pharisees, it's kind of divided into three different parts. First of all, we see a real-life example. Jesus gives us three stories, and then there are woes upon woes. And so we'll see how much we can get through this, all right? So first of all, look at Matthew 21 and look at verse number 17. Matthew 21 and verse number 17. This is the real-life example. And he left them and went out into the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered, and when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever, and presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I have over the years read this passage many, many times. And almost every time that I have read it, before studying this, I have always thought, Man, Jesus, you'd be really hard on a fig tree. Come on! Uh, I always wonder, why in the world is Jesus walking up on some poor little fig tree that's got no figs on it and saying, Well, you're never going to have figs, ever. And uh, so I began wondering about that. So as we look at this example, this real-life example of the fig tree, we see that it looks good on the outside. As Jesus walks up on this fig tree, it looks nice. It's kind of like that nice little tree over there, uh, which is not real. Uh, it looks nice on the outside. It's got all the leaves. It's perfectly green. It's not yellowing. It's not browning. It's full. It's not thin. It looks exactly the way that it should be. It looks good on the outside, but it's a fig tree. It's not doing what it should be, really. And I think as we look at the real-life example here of Jesus and the fig tree, we find that it's one thing to look the part, but it's another to produce the real thing. How many of you, your parents or your grandparents, or at your house, you have a garden? Anybody in here like that? You have a garden at your house, okay? Uh, growing up, we had a garden. And uh, when I was in high school and junior high, and we had a garden, and I'm not going to say that I was necessarily very fond of working in the garden whenever we had to do that, uh, but I was very fond of everything that came out of the garden. And the first year that we had the garden, we tried to plant everything, and it didn't really work out. There was a bunch of things that we just had to throw away. But eventually, we got it down to a science, and we were make, you know, growing green beans and, and zucchini squash that, you know, are two feet long and potatoes and tomatoes. Um, anybody else hungry right now? Uh, fantastic. There's nothing like going to a garden, a plant in a garden, a tree uh, somewhere that's supposed to produce, uh, produce fruit or vegetables and enjoying something from that, the, the fruit uh, of what that plant is supposed to produce. I tell you, though, there is nothing more frustrating 
when you should have fruit from something and don't. How many of you, you have, maybe your parents, I know June, your, your dad's got some fruit trees. Anybody else have any like fruit trees, orange trees, citrus trees, okay, a couple? Um, we had some point, I don't even remember when or why, but at some point in my growing up years, my grandmother, yes, my grandmother bought us these apple trees. Well, when she first bought it for us, oh man, an apple tree. Every kid wants to see an apple tree grow nice and big and then climb up in the apple tree and pick apples and be able to eat it right at your own house. I mean, that's fantastic. Uh, she bought us these apple trees and uh, we should have known that something was off with them when they were, you know, like this big around and straight up and down. And those things, we planted them and probably we didn't do exactly what we should have done with them to make sure that they grew. Uh, but we planted those things and I think that we got apples off of those things. They never got to be more than about this tall. They never got to be more than about this big around. Uh, the apples that eventually did come from them, you could not eat. They were about that big. That's very disappointing. Nothing more frustrating than when you should be getting fruit from something and not getting fruit from it. And I think that's where we find Jesus. As he sees it, producing figs that looks the part that has everything right about it, he's not seeing any figs. Now, as we look at this fig tree, this real life example, I think it's a picture of a couple different things. First of all, let me just mention, I think it's a picture overall of the nation of Israel right now in this time in history when Jesus is there. Uh, they've rejected him as the Messiah. They've been given every chance to receive him throughout the years. The prophets have come. They have tried to teach. They have tried to warn. They've tried to tell the people and point the people back to God. And every chance that they've been given, they've rejected it. And so now salvation is going to be given to the Gentiles. And so I think that this whole story is a picture of that, where Jesus has said, Israel, you've lost your chance right now. I'm going to put you on the shelf, and I'm going to focus my, my message of the gospel through people like Paul to the Gentiles. However, I think that in a more narrow context, and in the context of what we're talking about right now, I think that this fig tree is a picture of the Pharisees that Jesus was being opposed by. Now, we've spent a lot of time, as we have looked at uh, Matthew so far, we've looked at the heart of a disciple. We've looked at Jesus teaching his disciples. We've looked at Jesus giving an example to his disciples of how to live, the heart of a disciple that follows God, the heart of a disciple that lives by faith, the heart of a disciple that has humility. I want to flip the script, and I want to look at, for just a few moments, the heart of a Pharisee. Because I think Jesus gives us a little bit of a glimpse through this real-life example, the three stories, and the woes that he'll give in chapter 23 on the heart of a Pharisee. Let me say this first about the heart of a Pharisee. The heart of a Pharisee looks right, talks right, dresses right, walks right, goes to the right places, bees with the right people, but no one wants what they have. That's the heart of a Pharisee. That's the fig tree. It looked good. Jesus came up on it. It looked right. It had leaves. It had, you know, if you didn't know that was fake and you saw that sitting over there and I was to tell you that was some kind of fruit or uh, some kind of tree that you could get fruit off of, you would look at that and think, man, that's wonderful. If you got over there and realized it was fake or that it just wasn't producing anything, that'd be very disappointing. That's the heart of a Pharisee. It looks right on the outside, but it is fake. It is producing nothing. Only those who are already like them want what they have. 
Those with needs don't want what they have. Those with hurts, those with problems, those in trouble, no one wants what they have. Now, as we think about this idea of the heart of a Pharisee, because we have to, yes, recognize that in other people's life, and that's important, but more importantly than that, we have to make sure we recognize it in our own lives. Because if we're just worried about, you know, if somebody else is a Pharisee, better look in the mirror. So how do we look at our own lives? If, if you wonder whether or not you're a Pharisee, ask yourself, what am I producing? First of all, am I producing fruit? Is there, is there fruit in my life? Am I producing fruit? And then what does my fruit look like? Am I, listen, this is a great question. Am I just producing more of me or am I producing more of Jesus? That's the question we all need to ask ourselves. The, the litmus test of whether we are a disciple or a Pharisee, are we producing more of me or are we producing more of Jesus? That's the difference. Do people ever want to know Jesus because of me? And I'm not just talking about lifestyle evangelism where we live a holy, perfect life and then people come up to us and ask us, how can I know Jesus? That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, but as we have relationships and we grow with people and we try to lead people to be more like Jesus, do Jesus because of me? Do people want to know Jesus at all because of me? Because that's the question. When it comes to the heart of a disciple or the heart of a Pharisee, is it about Jesus, the heart of a disciple, or is it about us, the heart of a Pharisee? And that's the question. Is it, is it about Jesus or is it about us? And so the fig tree looked great, had nothing on it. Was, it was not accomplishing its purpose. was not accomplishing its purpose as a fig tree. It was without fruit. And Jesus in another gospel, tells his disciples, and he tells us what happens to something that should bear fruit and does not. Look at John chapter number 15. John chapter number 15, look at verse number 1. What happens to something that should be bearing fruit and does not? Look at verse number 1. We know this passage. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Verse number three, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. So we see what happens to something, a branch, that should bear fruit that does not. Jesus says it's worthless. Jesus says it's not fulfilling its purpose. Listen, as we look at the difference between the heart of a disciple and the heart of a Pharisee, know this, the heart of a disciple is one of abiding. The heart of a disciple is one of abiding. Again, it's focused on Jesus. It's following Jesus. 
It's trying to be close to Jesus. It's, it's knowing Jesus. It's, it's, it's living through the power of Jesus. It's, it's being in the Word of God to know what Jesus says. The heart of a disciple is one of abiding. It's focused on Jesus. The heart of a Pharisee, though, it's one of appearing. The heart of a disciple is one of abiding. We're focused on Jesus. We're going to let Jesus lead. We're going to let Jesus control us. We're going to let Jesus do a work in us. The heart of a Pharisee, they're only focused on how do I look? How do I talk? How do I sound? Uh, do I fit in? Uh, do, are people impressed by me? Do I have the look of someone that produces fruit? It's one of appearing. In both of these, one produces fruit, the heart of a disciple, the heart of abiding and following Jesus, one only produces leaves. One produces fruit, one only produces leaves. Now, why is that important? Leaves, I have a love-hate relationship with leaves. Um, how many of you, you're responsible for the cleanup around your house when all the leaves fall? Anybody here? Okay, all right, yeah. Um, so much fun. Uh, I, this, is how much, this is how much of a love-hate relationship that I have with leaves. One year for Christmas, I bought my father a leaf blower that I knew he would never use because I was the one that took care of the leaves. So Merry Christmas to me. Um, leaves, when they're on a tree, okay, no one likes to see a nasty bear tree. I mean, unless it's covered in snow, but, and that's terrible. No one wants to see a tree without leaves. I mean, that's what you see in haunted houses and you know, it's all spooky and all that good stuff. Uh, no one wants to see a tree without leaves. So leaves, leaves look good. I mean, you, you like to see with, with the trees now, they've got the leaves and you don't see it quite so much around here, but at least up north, there is a time when nothing has leaves on it. Okay? Those of you that have been up north or live up north, nothing have leaves, okay? It's just a haunted story the entire winter. Um, but eventually, in the spring, they get the little flowers, and then the leaves come back, and it's a wonderful thing, and you feel so alive. Uh, no one, everyone, we like to see trees covered in leaves. It's a nice thing, okay? But eventually, eventually, those leaves turn brown, and they fall off, and they die, and then we rake them up, we burn them, we bag them up, we mulch them, we do all kinds of different things to leaves, but the point is, all of them involve us throwing leaves away. Why? Because, except for looking nice on the tree, leaves are worthless. I mean, I know they serve a purpose to the tree, don't get me wrong, I know my science. Uh, I don't need the teachers in here correcting me. Uh, but, but leaves overall, they, they look nice, but they don't have much purpose. Eventually, they're gonna get thrown away. Fruit, on the other hand, Oh, fruit's important. Fruit is important on a tree. Uh, fruit, yes, it does take more time to produce. Okay? Uh, you get leaves pretty quick on a tree. It takes a lot longer to get fruit on a tree. Uh, for fruit, it, it takes more effort for the tree. That's why the leaves are there to produce the fruit, to give the nutrients to the tree so it can produce the fruit. That's why the flowers are there. Um, there's less of it. When you look at a tree, it may be covered in leaves. You, you, it's not necessarily covered in fruit. Now, there's going to be a lot of fruit on it, but there's less fruit than there are leaves. Uh, but the benefits are exponentially greater. We get food, we get nourishment, we get sustenance. And yes, for the tree, it reproduces the tree. That's how you get more trees. 
is because of the fruit. So fruit is important. Um, I think we see this principle also taught in Romans chapter number 12. Look at Romans 12, verse number 1. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The two different ways to live in that verse. The two different hearts. The heart of a disciple or the heart of a Pharisee. First of all, the heart of a disciple is concerned with the inward transformation of God in their lives. It comes from abiding. It comes from that relationship, that personal relationship with God through His Word, through fellowship with other believers, through pursuing Him and wanting to obey Him, allowing God, the Holy Spirit, to do a work in us. Heart of a disciple is focused on that. They want, they want God to do the work in us. The heart of a, a Pharisee is concerned with the outward confirmation for God in their lives. Now I'm going to explain that. The heart of a Pharisee is concerned with the outward conformation, conforming an act, looking right on the outside. And, and I'll say this, okay? Nothing is wrong with being right on the outside. That's important. Okay? Everybody here looks wonderful. You all look great. Uh, great looking crowd. Um, it's important to look right. It's important to talk right. It's important to have things right on the outside. That's certainly a part of what Jesus has called you to do. That's the fruit. Uh, you, you see fruit. That's the evidence of a healthy tree. You see fruit. That's the evidence of a healthy Christian. The Lord is producing things on the outside that all of us can see. However, it must come from a work on the inside. It's one thing to manufacture. It's one thing to, to put on an act. It's one thing uh, to look right and talk right and everybody thinks that you are right when in reality there's nothing on the inside backing it up. It's not real. The heart of a disciple is focused on abiding, following Jesus. That produces fruit. The heart of a Pharisee is only worried about making sure the outside is right to impress people. Why? Because it's about us. So we see that this is the real life example that Jesus gives into the heart of a Pharisee. Then he gives us three stories into the heart of a Pharisee. We're just going to look at the first one, and then we're going to look at what Jesus says in chapter 20, 23. So look at Matthew 21. Look at verse number 28. Matthew 21, verse number 28. The Bible says, And what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, uh, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him the first, Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. So Jesus is talking about a father going and calling two sons to go serve him. He goes to the first one. He says, Son, I want you to go serve me. And he says, No. Good job. Uh, but eventually he does. Changes his mind. Good job. Well done. Okay. He goes to the second son. And the second son says... 
He didn't read it. Yes. <laughs> okay. He says yes. Good job. All right. Okay. But eventually he says no. That's why he's the second son. Uh, just kidding. So one of them agrees, but doesn't do anything with it. One of them has a problem with it, but then eventually follows through. The heart of a Pharisee talks the talk, but doesn't walk the walk. The heart of a Pharisee says what will please people, uh, looks right again on the outside, but then doesn't walk the walk. Uh, look at Matthew 23 and look at verses 1 through 4. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and his disciples, saying, The scribes of the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, they that observe and do, but do not ye after their works. For they say and do not. They say and do not. For a Pharisee, it's all, again, it's all outside. It's all outward. Uh, it, there's, there's no depth to what they say. There's no evidence backing up their claim. There's no life to match the surface quality of what they have produced on the outside. We need to make sure uh, that we do not just pride ourselves. And yes, we need to make sure that we hold our standards high. And yes, we need to make sure that we do uh, honor the Lord with how we do look on the outside, because man does see that. Uh, but we need to make sure that we don't just pride ourselves in looking right, uh, talking right, being right, saying that we love people and we want to reach them. But when there's a disconnect in that in our lives, when there's a disconnect, unfortunately, in a lot of our churches of today, we look right, we talk right, we don't do anything about it. The heart of a disciple, again, it's a life that is produced from abiding in Christ. Now, we need to make sure, and we don't have to choose. Listen, you do not have to choose between having high standards and convictions and following the Lord and obeying Him and honoring Him with your life and reaching people. You can have both. There's both there. You don't have to sacrifice convictions for converts and vice versa. The heart of a Pharisee, they say, but they don't do. Their life does not back up what everybody sees on Sunday. Uh, and then Jesus in chapter number 23, let's skip there. Chapter number 23, Jesus gives what is called a bunch of woes. Woes. W-O-E. Woe. Uh, not W-H-O-A. Woo! Uh, it's a woe, okay? And what's interesting about these woes is that Jesus gives them in the temple. He's in the temple right now, okay? Um, he's in the temple. He is in front of everybody. He's not trying to hide it. It's not a private conversation that he's having with one of the Pharisees. He's not just talking to his disciples. No, he's saying this for everyone to say, again, I think Jesus, he, he is not going to let anybody else stand in his way. And so he's going to make sure that truth is prepared and presented to these Pharisees. Now, what is a woe? What does it mean when Jesus says woe to you? Well, the word woe is a declaration of guilt. It's a declaration of guilt. He's saying you are guilty. You are guilty. Uh, and I think that's important because Jesus is making sure that guilt is being made clear to those, the scribes and the Pharisees, who didn't think that they had any. They, they thought that they were guiltless because of their own attempts to be righteous. 
And Jesus makes it very clear that it is those person, those, their own attempts to be made righteous is that's the reason why they never will be righteous. Because of their own attempts, they are guilty. And so these are the results of the heart of a Pharisee. Let's just look through a couple of these real quick. Verse number 13 of Matthew 23. The Bible says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Uh, Jesus says, Pharisees, when you make it all about the outside and not about a personal relationship with me and allowing me to do the work on the inside, then you are making it impossible for others to know me. You're making it impossible for others to know me because they're only concerned about making sure that they look right on the outside and doing everything that they need to do instead of having that personal relationship with me. Look at verse number 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses... And for a pretense, make long prayer, therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. What's he saying here? He's calling these guys out. Okay? This was probably common knowledge. People knew that they were doing this, but Jesus is saying it. Uh, in, in this day, it was very common for widows and those that maybe were older in years or had great wealth uh, to entrust their wealth, their property, their inheritance to people they thought they can trust. The Pharisees, the religious crowd. They would give that to them, basically making them uh, the, the trustees, the overseers of their property. And what the Pharisees would do, many of them would eventually cheat them out of their own property and take the profit for themselves. And Jesus is calling them out on it. Uh, he says that uh, you are justifying ungodly actions. He says on one hand that you're going to cheat and steal from widows... And to think that you can, he says, uh, what does he say? And for pretense, make long prayers. Pretense, for show. For, for everyone to see. Uh, their prayers were a show to make them appear holy. Therefore, in their minds, giving them excuse to cheat and steal from others. They could get away with cheating and stealing from widows. Why? Because... Oh, everybody saw that they were praying. There's no way. Someone came with an accusation. There's no way. That this, this Pharisee, this religious leader, he's saying very long prayer. Certainly he knows God is not going to cheat and steal anybody. Jesus says, nope, that's just on the outside. Verse 15. Oops. That's not it. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte when he is made... You make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Jesus says, folks, Pharisees, your product, what you are producing in other people, is even worse than you. Because you're doing whatever it takes to convince others to be like you instead of giving them real hope. You don't give them any real hope. They're just focused on, on conforming and doing and trying to be like you in, in hopes that they will be made righteous because of that. Uh, he says, before they were lost, they were a child of hell before. And now because you have convinced them that righteousness will only be gained by what they do and not through Christ, now you have condemned them to that life of hell by thinking that you're solving the problem for them. Verse number 16. This is important. Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, 
He is a debtor. Ye fool and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold, and whosoever shall swear by the altar it is nothing, but whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift, whoso therefore shall swear by the altar sweareth by it it and by all things thereon, and whoso shall swear by the temple sweareth uh, by it and by him that dwelleth therein, and he that shall swear by heaven sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereon. All right, now that was a lot. What is Jesus saying here? He said, God, more emphasis on man than you are on God. You are putting more emphasis on man-made things than you are on God. Uh, and this is important. There is more emphasis on the man-made or man-created parts of worship in the Pharisees' lives than on the God that they were supposed to be worshiping. Let me say this to you, okay? When the act of worship, what we do, what we say, how we say it, how we look when we say it, when the act of worship becomes more important than the object of worship, him, we've got a problem. When the act of worship becomes more important than the object of worship, then we have a problem. Um, you know, we, we, can, we can make sure that we have a show. And I'm not just talking about the song service in church, although that's a part of it. I'm talking about our own lives, too. Uh, we, can, we can have a show. That's what the Pharisees did, those long prayers. Uh, we, can have a we can have things choreographed. I mean, it's smooth. We go from one song to the next. It looks great. It sounds great. Everything's dialed in. And yes, we want to do that because we want to uh, give God an excellent offering of praise. Uh, but we can order things and process the mess out of things and completely take away from the spirit of worship. And now it's only on, it's all about us. And it's all about how we look. And it's all about uh, the order and the process and making sure things are done right. And we miss the opportunity that we have to worship God. Our hearts are not in the right place. Well, I'm going to have to stop there. Uh, maybe we'll put up those last couple of woes somewhere else. But uh, that's the heart of a Pharisee. It's about appearing. It's about being focused on the outside. It's about wanting men's praise. The heart of a disciple is abiding. It's following Jesus. It's allowing him to work, do a work in us from the inside out.